Warning. We talk about scary, awful shit, use offensive language, and reference the reefers. Listener discretion is advised. I shortened it. Nice. <laughs> and welcome to Dead Drunk Uncle, or Dedu. I'm Steph. And I'm Jen. <laughs> and we're going to be your hosts for today. Now, I would like to start with some I-70 updates. I don't have any I-70 updates. Okay. <laughs> but I'd like to start with them. Um, I still haven't heard back about the ballistics. So, like, um, my anxiety... Because I'm just sitting here waiting. And I, every time I open my email, is it going to be in here? Every time my phone rings... No, I know it's not because I'm like, these are going to be some assholes trying to call me. That's some other shit I can talk about. Oh, man. I got in a fight with the fucking state of Ohio <laughs> medical marijuana people. Oh, no. No, no, not the state people. The the people who issued the card that I go through. Okay. You know, there's the different places that mm. they have doctors that work for them and stuff. Right. And this woman was a fucking... She was a fucking cunt, and I used those words to tell her that. <laughs> <laughs> On a voicemail. Um, or five voicemails. <laughs> I don't think I did every time, but I used horrible language. But I was very clear that it was horrible language. It wasn't like threatening or, you know, it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was, I shouldn't have used that language, but I was 100% right. I still am, and they can suck it. But, anyways, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have my medical lemonade, so awesome. it's all good. And then I thought that they canceled it because, like, I got an email that says, your referral has been terminated or however it's worded. And I'm like, what? It just so happened the day that all this shit went down was the day that my new card started. Oh, started. <laughs> so it was so just it was like, just here's the new one, here's the last one. And I was like, oh my God, this bitch really is going to stop me from getting my weed because I called her a fucking cunt? No shit. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to not be angry about it anymore because they were awful. I was right. Demons in your head. Yeah. Yeah. Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. (laughs) So I need to know about the I-70 killer. (laughs) And we need to know. I promise I will not hold back on you or do one of those annoying big reveal type of things. Like I'm not going to hold it back and then do like a very special episode or anything. Yeah. I mean there will be a very special episode when we find out but. It will be immediate. I'm not going to bury the lead here. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do that. Um, it would be cool if I did that, but I'm just too impatient and too excited about a surprise. Uh, and I did read that, and I, I don't remember if I mentioned this here before or not. That's why this is so, I didn't change my font. That's why I only have two pages. Oh. Because when I typed this up, now I can't read it. Okay. So Tara Hope did have DNA and it is getting tested. It didn't give any time frame in the article, like when it was getting tested or if it had already been sent but that they were going to have it processed regardless, but they applied for a grant and they did get the grant to pay for it. So that's cool. Uh, In Terre Haute, they also seem to be very convinced that the murder of Billy Brossman is the I-70 killer. That dude was not my uncle. So if he's the I-70 killer, that's good. (laughs) Also, it's been made very clear in several articles I've seen that Michael McCown, who was murdered in Terre Haute, could not have been mistaken for a woman. He did not have long hair uh, at the time of his murder. He was crouched down uh, when he got shot, 
Uh, but he was really tall, and not that like women can't be tall and thin and have short hair, but it doesn't seem like it would make any sense that they was took him for a woman. Yeah. Um, and I feel like his sisters have said this in a lot of articles, so if that's something that's important to them, it's important to me. Mm-hmm. And I think somehow there's something in there with that in the clues that they have a theory about. You know what I mean? I feel like... I, like, I feel like there's something in Terre Haute and something with Michael McCown. Like, my spidey senses are just telling me there's something in there. They're a little tangly. Yeah. Like, I don't know if maybe that's a separate set that's Michael McCown and, and Billy Brosman from 2001. You know? And it's not the same as the I-70, but... Because the Brosman murder was not the same gun. I'm assuming McCown was the same gun, but we already talked about it, and I don't still have my notes, so I don't remember. Uh-huh. So anyway. You don't archive your notes? Or... Oh, I still have them in my computer. <laughs> I just don't ever reference them. That's sure. too much difficulty. Sure. So they really think it's connected to Billy Brossman, and I think there's something brewing in Terra Haute, or at least they have some ideas. I mentioned before that Tara Hope has a person of interest who is not in custody for the Brosman murder, so my assumption then is that that suspect is deceased, but they still haven't said anything. Yeah. Fuck all I know. Maybe I think it's just him, him, my him. uncle. <laughs> He's deceased, we're not telling you. No, that I, there's video yeah. of this guy, gotcha. and it's not him, I'm telling you, it's Seth Meyers. Oh, Watch God. the video, it is Seth Meyers. <laughs> Okay, so um, KMOTV has an excellent series of segments about the I-70 killer, and you should check out their reports on their YouTube page. They have, um, in part five, and I posted this on the Facebook page, they interview Vicki Webb, and she's the survivor of the Texas shooting. Um, the investigators meeting did not include Texas, so we don't know for sure if those are all the same person um basically i'm still waiting to but the i30 whatever ones that they connect with i70 that was um from 93 and 94 it was three shootings in texas but vicky webb was the only person who survived and they interview her it's just really cool i hate to say cool because that sounds gross but like incredible maybe the word to like hear her yes to hear her tell her story Mm -hmm. and that she's still like willing to talk you know like to go out and talk about it that's fucking terrible she has no idea if he's still alive you know like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I think she's just pretty badass and um and she's a hero I just thought I'd throw that in but she is because she she survived yeah and then I'd be fucking terrifying because she couldn't move and she was just laying there and he thought she was dead but she knew she was alive. And then he and pulled the probably, trigger and it didn't. Right, and it jammed. Right. Oh my God. That's going to be like the longest how many seconds ever. Oh my God. And then after, do you like wonder, am I dead? Like, did it go off? I mean, <laughs> oh man. And how long was she sitting there before the police got there? Like, it's terrifying. So, anyways, it's really awesome that she was willing to still talk about it and everything. So, if you right. want to check it out, it's on the KMO TV uh, YouTube page. Maybe she's she's more proud than 
traumatized at this point. Maybe. Maybe she's like, listen to what I did because I'm a badass bitch. I hope. I hope. I hope she's she just really well healed. Tell them that story. Yes. Look what I did. Yes. So she's our hero of the year. I was going to say like of the week, but that's not enough time. <laughs> okay, and now they're... I'm not sure of the year because it's January 4th. Oh, God. It's January 4th of the year 1AB. And that would be after Betty. There is no way I would do an episode without acknowledging the loss of my Lord and Savior, Betty White. Oh my God, I'm actually going to cry talking about it. Shut up. I should have done therapy right before it. Okay. I just had my therapy appointment. Okay, so she died on the last day of that shit year so that we wouldn't have to go on one more day in the year that took her. Fuck my life. I've never met this woman. Why am I... Uh, I... Because she was awesome. She was grandma. (laughs) She died at one of our darkest times so that we can come together with our collective love for her in our mourning to start to try to repair our souls. She was the greatest human who ever lived, and she got to one bottle of beer on the wall and then stopped. To quote Rose Nyland, doesn't it just drive you nuts? (laughs) She did that on that episode. Yeah. Okay. No, no, I'm really, I'm fine. I just had therapy and I got all the way right. through to the end and we were talking and it wasn't even anything serious and I was just crying again and I'm like, God, well, I don't even know I'm crying. She's like, well, let's meet next week. Oh, wait, now I think I do need one because I got a little drip coming from my nose. Oh. Sorry. Ugh. Thank you very much. Sure. I know. I didn't even cry about it on my therapy when I was yeah. talking about it. Yeah. But it was there needing to be released. I guess. It's been being released for days. Oh my god. I just, When I first read it, I was like, ah. <laughs> Jim, it's not serious. <laughs> I just, I don't, he must have thought. I just got some terrible message, and I did. But, fuck. And if, you know, she's in my life exactly as much today as she was a week ago. Yeah. So I need to just be happy. Okay, so this is the Rainbow Bridge now. Oh my God, she is. Oh my God, (laughs) she had so many animals. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love her so much. Okay. No. I'll take um, a shot of marijuana and move on with love in my heart. That's right. Uh At least it's a good cry. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. These are (laughs) the sources that I used for this week's topic. It is the LA Times from December 6, 1996. The News Tribute, (laughs) wherever that was from, November 29, 1981. Fort Lauderdale News, February 6, 1972. These were all things that were probably just released on the AP. (laughs) These are just the first places I saw them, but whatever. Um, Great Falls Tribune, February 18th, 1980. Star Tribune, Minneapolis, December 22nd of 71. The Argus, November 30th of 71. A website called The Legend of D.B. Cooper, which I think is run by these two people. I'll I'll get to that. Uh, The FBI website and HBO documentary from 2020, Mm -hmm. which is just a really fun watch. My with some people that you'll be watching it and going, 
uh, what? (laughs) It's it's a very what the fuck, but in the best possible way. So, let's talk D.B. Cooper, shall we? I'm so fascinated by this story. Spoiler, it wasn't my uncle. He was in the army in 1971. Although, he did give me some mangled money once. Pretty sure that the water damage was not was from not operating things properly in his home when he was drunk and not from being in the woods of the Pacific Northwest for over 40 years. So picture it. November 24th, 1971. Dan Cooper bought a one-way ticket to Seattle on Northwest Orient Airlines. The DB was added by a mistake in reporting. So I'm calling him Dan. Because that was his real fake name. Yeah. <laughs> not DB. So... Try and stop the dripping. Goddamn. It's a, thank you. It's a, a goddamn faucet once it starts. Yeah. And I even did my Flonase this morning, so it, it shouldn't be worse. And then I can find my spot on this tiny print. So, Dan, in Portland, he buys his ticket, of course, with cash. Also, it was 1971. I don't think they had any other ways to pay with things besides cash and the blues. I didn't write that. I just came up with that on the fly. <laughs> Diners Club. Oh! They probably did, didn't Kojak do commercials for Diners yes. Club? Yes. And I didn't even know who he was, but I know he's the Diners Club guy. Right. right. <laughs> uh, on the plane, he ordered a bourbon and water and smoked Raleigh filter tips. He handed a note to the flight attendant. A flight attendant. When she didn't react because like, she thought he was hitting on her, mm-hmm. like, here's this note. Uh, when she didn't react, he told her that she better read the note. He was described as being very calm and polite, but his note let them know that he was not. He demanded $200,000 in $20 bills and four non-military parachutes. He opened his attache case. I like an attache case. Yes. He opened his attache case to show her wires and such that appeared to be bombs. Which really, if someone says this is a bomb and opens a case... I, it doesn't matter what it looks like. I'm probably going to believe that it's a bomb. Especially in 1971. On an airplane. Right? Yeah. Like, okay, no question. Got it. It's yeah. Bomb. I'm going to go ahead and act as if it is no matter what. Especially Sonny Bono didn't wear What? Sonny Bono. <laughs> he played in Airplane 2. He played a bomb. Oh! Sorry, that's okay. I was and like, he, had, he was like, on this stuff flight. strapped to his body and stuff, and he was real nervous. <laughs> no, no. Sorry. Okay. That's probably where they got the idea. <laughs> it was after 1970. Probably. They came up with it. This well, it was a big, like, folk hero. Right. It was a big deal. Right. Um, his attache case with his bomb things. Okay, when the flight landed in Seattle, Dan allowed the passengers to exchange... Oh, I can read. He allowed the, pacen- the passengers to go in exchange for the money and the parachutes. So then it was just a flight attendant, the pilot, and the co-pilot left. They took off from Seattle, going to Mexico City. Dan instructed them to fly below 10,000 feet and slower than 200 knots. That means he's an expert. Okay, because he knew. Yeah. I'm like, he couldn't have just Googled it? Well, well maybe he had an Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> Encyclopedia. That's how we used to spell Google. Yes, exactly. Uh, but somewhere over Reno, Nevada, Dan jumped out of the back of the plane 
or somewhere before Reno, he jumped out of the plane with the cash and the parachutes, never to be seen again. But that's not just, oh, I can read my dramatic writing, but that's just it, never to be seen again. They didn't find the body. I mean, granted, it's like dense forest, but whatever. They still were looking. Mm -hmm. And you know with all that cash, they were definitely looking. Oh, yeah. Not for the body necessarily, but they were for sure looking very carefully. Good point. Uh, They didn't find the cat. Well, they didn't find the cash. Right. (laughs) Not until 1980 when a little boy found all these busted up $20 bills. I was so high when I was writing this, too. I mean, like, I got... I got moon rocks the other day at the dispensary. Gotcha. Okay. I need not say more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this little boy, he was camping with his family, and he goes to dig, like, a fire pit, and he finds $6,000. So, in, in $20 bills. Mm-hmm. So $5,800 or $5, is accounted for in that way. Uh, it was along the Columbia River on Tina Bar near Vancouver, Washington. He was digging a fire pit while camping with his family. <laughs> See, I guess I, I did put the details in there. Yeah. Scientists have been able to examine the bills and were able to identify specific species of diatoms or diatoms or whatever yeah. from algae on the bills. Tom Kay, whoever that is, was an investigator of something, was able to determine <laughs> that the, oh, he's a scientist. He was able to determine that the diatoms on the bills bloomed in spring only. They wouldn't have been blooming in November. So the stuff that first touched the bills only blooms in spring. Okay. And this happened in November, so they couldn't have been there for at least, you know, six months or whenever the bloom happens. Right, right. The evidence would support that the money was only exposed to the water months after Cooper's jump. It was also 18 miles as the crow flies from the drop zone. I just like that phrase. And the money was mostly intact and in rubber bands. And the FBI closed the case, Norjack, in 2016. And they closed the case because, like, they couldn't really justify spending the resources Beating and everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. When, you know, he's probably dead by now and the money's gone by now, like, mm-hmm. it's just a really cool mystery we all, all want to solve. Yeah. And, and honestly, though, like, for the people who were on that plane, it would somehow be some, not justice for them to know who it was, but god damn, they deserve it. Right, Like, right. just to have some kind of n- more knowledge about what happened, because the passengers on the plane, I don't think they knew anything happened until they landed. And it was just, like, the, um, the I staff. I they collected all the money and stuff from the like no, 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 he didn't go. I no, 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 no. It was like the the police or whoever they went around to all these different banks and everything because it, it, it was hard to get that much in twenty dollar bills. Yeah, gotcha. so they went all around, worked real fast and real hard to get the money, mm-hmm. and uh, I had some gummies right before I came over here. And they just kicked in. Yaha! I can mark down the time. 1943. Oh, that doesn't tell me how long it's been from the time mm. I took them. Oh. I just found that I had them still left over. Okay, so the case is closed. But they, the FBI has all the stuff on their website. I'm sure they would find it cool to be solved. They're just not going to 
waste any more time on it when they have this ISO 70 case that they need to work on. Right. So there are tons of theories and suspects. And I have a few that I wrote down that are the ones that they talked about in the documentary. Because I did read all these articles, but mostly I watched the documentary. So Barbara Dayton, a woman? Yeah. Ooh la la. <laughs> Why is it ooh la la for a woman Why to do a crime? Okay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> she was the first person to have gender confirmation surgery in Washington State in 1969. So she is a cool trailblazer in that way. She was a pilot and a skydiver, and she had friends, oh, and one of her children on the HBO documentary who very much believed that it was her, you know, for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there was a letter that she wrote to her children that was dated in 1971, in November of 1971, and it's available online. You can read it. And she, they kind of present it as like, her apologizing for what she did, but to me it reads like her explanation of her gender identity to her children now. as mm-hmm. They're grown adults, and and it was, I think, two years after she had the surgery, and I was just reading it as this is just her explaining that, and it yeah. didn't sound to me that it had anything to do with this hijacking, but whatever, you can read it online and find out what it's worth. I didn't... Since I didn't think it had anything to do with it, I felt like it was gross to just read it on here. Yeah. You know? I like your use of uh, gender-confirming. Is that the correct? The latest is uh, gender-affirming. Affirming. Okay. I didn't but think I was right, but I wanted to try. Close enough, Because <laughs> that's not how they reported it right. in 1969. Right. And I didn't want to use those kinds of words. Sure. <laughs> um. But it is, even just this part of the story, though, it's just really cool. Like, she sits, these two friends were the ones mostly talking about her, and um, she sits down and talks to them, and she's like, okay, I have something to tell you. And the woman in the couple is like, and then she and I just looked at each other, and I just knew, and she was like, okay, your wife knows, so let me go ahead and tell you now. I used to have a different name, you know, and Mm -hmm. so... Um, then, you know, they knew about that, but, and that she was a pilot and everything. I'm not sure if it was just like from news reports, cause this was going on like at the time, yeah. you know, and, um, they did some picture that they said they took like a Polaroid of her with sunglasses on and her hair back to try to make her look like it to see. And they were like, Oh my God, it looks just like him. And you know, anyone can put on sunglasses really and look like that yeah, drawing because it's yeah. very nondescript. And they don't still have the picture because someone ripped of it course, up. Of course, of course. So, for what it's worth. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. And I just think it's... Oh, <laughs> what did we do? Okay. And I just think it's kind of cool to to see those kinds of changes happening in society back then. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. This is not a new thing, dickos. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> I get distracted so easily. Okay. Next we have... <laughs> Next we have... Um, the person we spoke to is Joe, And she was the widow of this Dwayne Weber. 
and her memory friend Tim Collins. <laughs> her memory man is how they describe him on the documentary. Okay. And it's weird because he's just like some young guy who's helping out this old lady. I don't know. Weird. It's like he's kind of like a friend caregiver type. I don't know how involved he is in her life, but he's like she'll be showing the pictures of stuff and then he's like no remember Joe you said that this happened and that happened and that so he's the one who keeps her memories straight for her uh, or puts them in order yeah. <laughs> but honestly by the end of the documentary I kind of felt like maybe he wasn't a horrible scum just trying just to trying like to latch on to this but I don't know it was weird so the things that happened with Joe right after November of 71, he bought new cars. Oh, so he clearly just got $200,000. <laughs> I don't know. Um, he told her on his deathbed that he was really Dan Cooper. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then six months before that boy found the money, she and Dwayne had gone to a convention in Seattle. And when they were driving, he dug up some stuff um, and, like, dug up a bag and then left, threw the bag in the river. That's not suspicious. Right, right. But she didn't really remember this until later. It's hard to tell. Right. If, you so know. Is he the keeper of memories or maker of memories? I know. That's, that's what I kind of felt like. But then by the end, it did feel like he literally had his own. Literally? I don't know why I said that there. That he actually had, like, his own life and family and stuff. Yeah. So maybe he's not just all glommed onto her. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I definitely didn't get a great feeling about it. Yeah. And that also could be something that the documentary makers thought would be funny, and they did You know, who knows whose narrative it is, but I didn't get a great feeling from it. And, you know, I know everything, so. Um, where they found the money, it could not have been, oh, I already knew that, you know, that, we know that the money that was found was not there since November of 71. Okay. So that part of it, you know, would coincide with her story. Right. Um, and I wrote because they could tell that because of, like, silt science. You know, silt science. That's... <laughs> Geology, man. Yes. Geology rocks. As if we don't have a friend who's a geologist, and I'm like... Silt science, you know? Right. <laughs> Oops, I know these things. Um, so, silt science. Okay, so then after he died, she found um, in his wallet an ID with an entirely different name. Interesting. Yeah, uh, John Carson Collins instead of Dwayne Weber. And he had even served prison time under this other name. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's definitely weird, and I definitely think there's some kind of really cool story in there of what his life was, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's Dan Cooper. Right. But cool story anyway. Indeed. <laughs> now, Richard Floyd McCoy, or Richard Flugel, because like my handwriting, it looked like Flugel, uh-huh. and I was like, what? No, clearly, I remember it said Floyd. Definitely looked like Flugel. This is our guy. This is him. Richard Floyd McCoy, like six months after the hijacking. I don't know if it was six months, four months, something like that. Mm -hmm. Richard did the same thing. 
Um, this time getting away with $500,000 where he hijacked the same kind of plane mm-hmm. and demanded the money and he got it and he parachuted with the money and got away with all of it. They say that he did it because he lost the money the first time when he, you know, with him being Dan Cooper, mm-hmm. the, the, the hijacking in November that when he jumped, he lost the $200,000. So that's why he did it again a few months later. Yeah. Um, so he did it because he lost the money, and also he said that the first time it was so easy to do, so he just did it again. In the first hijacking, Dan opened the back door himself, but he had to use the intercom thing to ask the pilot for help to get the stairs down. And now in the second one, in the second hijacking, the one that we know that Richard did, he opened it himself. So see, he learned it the first time, and the second time he knew. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I hear, oh, whatever. (laughs) Unfortunately, he bragged to his friend, and his friend turned him in. Then he escaped from prison. Twice. Wow. But was killed in a shootout with police after being captured following the second escape. I mean, that that sounds very obvious to me, and clearly this is all the detective work one needs to do, is read some things and watch a documentary, and then you can find it out. Right. But, I mean, even just of the stuff that they presented and the stuff that I could Google, it really <laughs> sounds like this is the guy. Yeah. Um, a lot now, of coincidences there. Oh, right. Because I'm going to say, the guy who admitted to doing the exact same thing just a few months earlier, that's going to be the guy who did it. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. can't believe that there's two or more separate dudes who can plan and execute, at least to some extent, this parachuting money thing. But they didn't try it again after the last guy got away with it. Like, there's just no way. That, <laughs> there's yeah. several people who can do it, and it all stopped as soon as this guy got caught. Yeah. I mean, all two of them. But if right. there was someone still out there who could do it, they keep they'd doing do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, I said, I don't think so, but I went to the dispensary today and got moon rocks and <laughs> just a few new edibles. So my logic might be flawed at this point, but I do remember that I'm just really sure it's him based on what I heard on the documentary, and I've watched it twice, so that tracks. Okay. And You're thorough. Yeah. So that's that's our boy Dan. We take a quick break. Yes, let's take a quick break. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> so talking about D.B. Cooper. Now I have the Wikipedia here so that I have uh, better, more accurate <laughs> references. And they described him as being in his mid-40s, wearing a business suit with a black tie and a white shirt. The black tie, it had a pearl clip on it, and it was a clip-on tie, and he left it on the plane. And he left his cigarette butts. But those were lost. So we can't do the DNA there. Right. There, was there partial? Oh, no, I think I'm confusing it with I-70 now. Hmm. (laughs) I think that, no, I'm definitely confusing it. So I better not say anything or I'm going to confuse some stuff real bad like. Okay. So um, the bulletin that they released in 71... You know, that picture. Mm-hmm. It's a picture everyone's seen. 
And he says it's described as male, mid-40s, 5'10 to 6 foot, 170 to 180, average to well-built, ooh, <laughs> olive Latin appearance, medium smooth. Oh, <laughs> it says complexion. Olive Latin appearance, appearance medium smooth. Hair, dark brown or black, normal style, pasted on left, parted on left. <laughs> He didn't paste his hair. Combed back, side burns low ear level. His eyes are possibly brown. During latter part of flight, put on dark wraparound sunglasses with dark rims. His voice, he, he was low, his voice was low. He spoke intelligently, they said. No particular accent, probably from the Midwest. Oh my God, a heavy smoker. This It's my uncle. Well, I felt it. <laughs> uh, wearing a black suit with a white shirt, narrow black tie, black dress suit. Oh, one thing says coat. Okay. Black rain type overcoat or dark top coat, dark briefcase or attache case, paper bag, brown shoes. So, like, that's all he had when he jumped out of the airplane. And, okay, they released the passengers and went back in the air. Okay, under the investigation part, we have that the FBI agents recovered 66 unidentified latent fingerprints aboard the airliner. And they found his clip-on tie and two of the four parachutes, one of which had been opened and two shroud lines cut from the canopy. Authorities interviewed eyewitnesses in Portland, Seattle, and Reno. And those are the composite sketches that they got from interviewing those people. Okay. The, uh, yeah, everyone likes the little noises you make in between talking. Just kidding. They hate it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a precise area, a precise search area was difficult to define as even small differences in estimates of the aircraft's speed or the environmental conditions along the flight path, which varied by location and altitude, changed Cooper's projected landing point considerably. An important variable was the length of time he remained in freefall before pulling his ripcord, if he succeeded in opening a parachute at all. Neither of the Air Force fighter pilots saw anything exit the airplane. Or, oh, because they had Air Force fighter pilots come up and fly behind them. Oh. And they didn't see uh, him leave or the parachute open, but at night they wouldn't have probably been able to see it. And he's wearing all black clothing. Right. Um, they did a recreation using a 200-pound... Oh. Pushing a 200-pound sled out of the open air stair, and they were able to reproduce the upward motion of the tail section described by the flight crew when he jumped out of the plane and they felt like the bump. Mm -hmm. So they were able to recreate that and get that 8.13 p.m. was most likely his jump time, and at that moment, the aircraft was flying through a heavy rainstorm over the Lewis River in southwestern Washington. Initial extrapolations placed Cooper's landing zone within an area, blah, 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 in Ariel, Washington, near Lake Merwin. And these people in Ariel, Washington, there's like two people who live there. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's a very teeny, tiny, tiny place, but they have a little bar and they have like a D.B. Cooper party there. Mm -hmm. 
because they apparently think that's where the drop zone was. And now here under the search for the ransom, search for ransom money, a month after the hijacking, the FBI distributes lists of the ransom serial numbers to financial institutions, casinos, racetracks, and other businesses that routinely conducted large cash transactions. So they know the serial numbers and they were never found, but like most places aren't checking their serial numbers of their bills. Right. So like when you talk, you know, casinos and racetracks, this guy isn't going to take his money there anyway. He's not going to go to the bank and be like, <laughs> I'd like to deposit $200,000. Yes. I mean, um, $199,000. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know that the serial numbers mean much of anything, although maybe I should get a hold of these serial numbers and make sure I don't have any of them. I'm sure they'll let me Everybody know. count your serial numbers. <laughs> right now, grab your wallet, put all, all the dollars, and write down the serial numbers. Yeah, but these are only super old-timey bills. I used bills from this, mm. well, not this old, but like old 20s right. last year, and the girl had to get her manager to come over and check the bill because she's like, what is this? This is obviously fake. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? She had never even seen an old $20 bill. Oh, my God. And I'm like, I know it's old, but it's not that fucking old. Right? <laughs> right? Jesus. Like, what am I, 75? I know. <laughs> so I guess I should have checked that serial number on that bill. Right. Um, um, okay. Uh, Northwest Orient, the, uh, the airliner, they offered a reward of 15% of the recovered money. To a maximum of twenty five thousand. That so my my motivation here is to go out and do the work to find the money, and then I'll give it to you and I'll get back fifteen percent. That was a really no. dumb way right? <laughs> to try to get other people to find the money. I haven't seen it. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> someone found the money. I'm sure. If it, if he didn't get away with it. I would assume that somebody found more of the money and they didn't turn it in like this sweet little kid who was with his family. Right. Now in the later development section, this has got to be interesting. I didn't read this part. <laughs> I just printed it out before I started my therapy appointment so that I'd have more stuff because I'm like, God, this is only two pages. I need more stuff. I'll print out the Wikipedia right. so I can get more details. Um, subsequent analyses indicated that the original landing zone estimate was inaccurate. Scott, who was flying the aircraft manually because... Scott is the guy who's doing the recreation. He was flying the aircraft manually because of Cooper's speed and altitude demands, later determined that his flight path was farther east than initially assumed. Additional data from a variety of sources, in particular Continental Airlines pilot Tom Bowen, who was flying four minutes behind flight 305, indicated that the wind direction factored into drop zone calculations had been wrong, possibly by as much as 80 degrees. This and other supplemental data suggested that the actual drop zone was south southeast of the original estimate in the drainage area of the Washugo River. And that goes, oh no, wait, that was the Columbia River, so I don't know where that is, whatever. FBI agent Ralph Himmelsbach wrote, I have to confess, if I were going to look for Cooper, I would head for the Washugal. 
Oh, that's a really good quote. (laughs) (laughs) You've been crowing on it. July 8th of 2016, they suspended the investigation. The physical evidence they had, there were three pieces of of evidence found, which was the, the the clip on tie, the mother of pearl tie clip, and eight filter tipped Raleigh cigarette butts. The cigarette butts were lost. In November of 78, a placard printed with instructions for lowering the aft stairs of a 727 was found by a deer hunter near a logging road about 13 miles east of Castle Rock, Washington, well north of Lake Merwin, but within Flight 305's basic flight path. So if somebody found some random little printed placard (laughs) that had instructions for how to open that thing, I feel like people found the money. (laughs) Like, in all this woods, but we found one little paper. (laughs) And then the recovered ransom money, that was the little kid Brian Ingram. I think they had to go to court over whether or not he was allowed to keep this money. Jesus, like, that's some asshole shit. But I didn't. So he was eight years old in 1980, mm-hmm. which was 42 years ago. So now the guy is 50. Mm-hmm. That's how old he is. And he's got this story of, when I was eight years old, I found D.B. Cooper's money. Yeah. That is the coolest story. I bet he has so many friends. Because <laughs> you always have a really good story to tell. Right, right. I don't, I, I, well, oh, I guess I do. <laughs> wrong with me of course i have a really good story to tell absolutely huh and i have the mug to prove it (laughs) yes speaking of you know what you need merch well i don't think we're there (laughs) (laughs) but i thought we should merch (laughs) i just was very excited (laughs) i love to make little surprises Oh, in 2007, the FBI announced that they did have a partial DNA profile obtained from three organic samples found on the clip-on tie, though later they acknowledged that there is no evidence that the hijacker was the source of the sample material. (laughs) So that's helpful. I imagine it was just that lots of people handled it, so they don't know, but it'd be pretty easy to rule out the people who they know handled it. Like, they'd be able to identify their DNA for sure. Um, Theories, hypotheses, and conjecture. Conjecture. You know, that's where I want to look. Suspect profiling. Okay, flight attendants Schaffner and Mucklow, who spent the most time with Cooper, were interviewed. And they gave nearly identical descriptions. Around 5 feet 10 inches. 180 pounds, mid-40s, close-set, piercing brown eyes, and swarthy skin. I don't know what swarthy skin is. Kind of rough and like... Hmm. Maybe a little reddish I guess I haven't heard swarthy like used ruddy. skin. Yeah. Huh. Thinking of a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> a pirate skin. Okay. Oh, man, he had pirate skin. <laughs> We should be looking at some pirates. We totally should be looking at pirates. We need That'd to hit a, the open seas. It'll be a fun episode. Yeah. I will look. Uh, I don't know. I'll look into pirates. They, I can see where they might be annoying to me that I wouldn't enjoy talking about them. You know what a pirate's favorite restaurant is? I don't care. Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
that's why you can't do pirates, right? Because I have five million pirate jokes. Okay, we're not doing pirates. <laughs> September nineteenth is National Talk Like a Pirate Day. Okay, uh, just so mark it on your calendars. We might do a very special pirate episode just for you, September nineteenth. <laughs> Everybody, stay tuned. We'll have some special pirate merch for you. You can turn your Facebook to pirate talk. You can change the language. Yeah, you can. Do yeah, it. I did that once, but yeah. it got a little. Yeah, it was cute for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> They're calling me a whore, though. So that isn't very nice of them. <laughs> they could at least just call you a sex worker. Like, let's just fucking come to the right century right. here and give people some respect. <laughs> pirate asshole. That's why he's a pirate. Jerks. Mm. <laughs> sure. Under knowledge and planning, this has got to be good. Oh. Oh. For- my mom. She's a weirdo. You know what you can do if you want to drop off my husband's birthday card? You can drop it in the mailbox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Okay, evidence suggested that Cooper was knowledgeable about flying technique, aircraft, and the terrain. I mean, I would sure fucking hope so. He demanded four parachutes to force the assumption that he might compel one or more of the hostages to jump with him, thus thus ensuring that he would not be deliberately supplied with sabotaged equipment. So that was super smart. Or he just wanted extras for the money. Like, okay. (laughs) Give me all your parachutes. (laughs) One will work. There was one one of the ones that he used was... Yeah. Like, they didn't mess with it, but, like, the, the backup shoot wasn't there or something. Mm-hmm. But they didn't find any of the parachute, so... That, too. That really feels like something they would have found. Yeah, they're large. Because, I mean... You can fit, like, 30 kids in a parachute. Yeah, can. And turn into a giant mushroom. mushroom. <laughs> and then sit all around it. There was something on here that I thought was interesting, and I don't remember what it was, so I probably won't find it. Um, yeah, back a bit, and the search for the ransom money and later development. All right. There, I mean, there's a hypothesis that the money fell in there, in the river, and that it just flowed down, and yeah. part of it got stuck there. That's just near, not nearly as fun to pontificate about. <laughs> oh, yeah, the swarthy skin. He was <laughs> familiar with the Seattle area and may have been an Air Force veteran, Based on testimony that he recognized the city, uh, the city of Tacoma from the air. Oh, <laughs> good job! And his accurate comment to Mucklow that McCord Air Force Base was approximately 20 minutes driving time from the Seattle Tacoma Airport, a detail most civilians would not know or comment upon. Well, maybe I'm going to comment upon it all the time. Yeah. Hey, did, did you, you know, know? <laughs> where McCord Air Force Base is? Probably not even like called that or there right. anymore. Uh, Ralph Himmelsbach, extortionists and other criminals who steal large amounts of money nearly always do so because 
Oh, that's what he said. I started. Uh, people who steal large amounts of money do it because they need it urgently. Otherwise, the crime is not worth the considerable risk. Or he was a thrill seeker. You guys are weird. Um, who was the guy that had 14 months to live? Oh, that was the other thing I want. Okay. There was a letter, and I don't see it on here, so maybe it's not in the part that I printed. Okay. But, from Wikipedia, there was a letter that was sent to, like, newspapers uh, from someone and said his name was, like, J.B. Cooper. You know, like, it was Cooper, but with different initials. And he said he was the brother of D.B. Cooper. Mm-hmm. And that D.B. Cooper had died. And the reason he did the hijacking is because he was broke and he was sick and he had 14 months to live from like kidney disease or something Mm -hmm. and so he was doing this to get money for his family to be set up after he died and he's gone now and the money's gone so don't bother looking for it (laughs) (laughs) so so there's probably an alias so probably the brother's not gonna be named right cooper oh but there is um, I don't think I put it on here because it was so stupid. Oh, no, I did put it on here and I just didn't read it. L.D. Cooper. L.D. Uh. Yeah. This guy, his niece Marla is in the um, documentary. And this doesn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. This one just sounds too dumb. Um, she said that in 1971, her uncle's... L.D. and Dewey or something mm-hmm. um, uh, came over and one of them was hurt real bad and it was like Thanksgiving and they had said they were going turkey hunting, ha 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 turkey hunting and then one of them said, yeah, well, we just hijacked a plane <laughs> and then after Christmas like that do. year, she never saw him again and so she thinks he was D.B. Cooper and she knows he was D.B. Cooper and her dad told her later before he died, well, you remember he's D.B. Cooper, right? It's just all very... Uh, She passed a polygraph, but who... I mean, who cares? (laughs) And that only proves, even if the polygraph is true, which whatever, not only proves that she believes that to be the case, you know, it doesn't prove if she's right. (laughs) Right. So, and I I didn't... I didn't like the vibe I got from her through the TV. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's my professional opinion. Gotcha. I, you know, most of them just really sounded like they were like, oh, uh, well, no, this is how Marla was. They were all just very definitive. Mm-hmm. So they were putting pieces into the story, which I know I do all the time. Right. And that's how I got where I am now. <laughs> but it's annoying when other people do it. Right. right. <laughs> and at least I realized that um, I don't, I don't know that I really think he did it. And it's not just because I remember when I was a kid one time, someone said, we hijacked an airplane. Like, that's such a... You just randomly remembered that now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, when I was... Yeah, my uncle came over. He was hurt, and he said, I hijacked an airplane. (laughs) There are things that were said, just single senses or whatever, you know, that I remember. Mm Mm-hmm. From my childhood, so I would think if someone said, "Hey, I just had hijacked a an airplane," I think that would have stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just the the way she told it didn't make sense to me, but that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I was 
high both times I watched No, wait. I wasn't high the first time I watched it. Because it came out in 2020, and I was not getting high in 2020. Well, oh, so you watched it back then? <laughs> yeah, when it first came out. Oh. And I remembered that there was a really good documentary when I was writing about this. So uh -huh. I was like, beep, beep, beep. Oh, there. Good call. Yeah. So that's D.B. Cooper, a.k.a. Floyd McCoy, or Richard Floyd McCoy, or mm -hmm. Mr. Flugel. <laughs> I did have a... Okay. Oh, there wasn't anything else really other than this today's episode of Don't F with Steph. Woo! <laughs> I still don't have a clear definition of what that is, but um it's just probably shit I want to talk about, I guess. <laughs> and I like saying it and I think yeah. it's too clever to not use. It's quite clever. So I'm slowly starting my dig out cleanup period after depression time and I'm using ter I'm using terms loosely here I don't know what I'm oh from depression time that's my official diagnosis but for a while I I just let myself be okay with not doing anything so there's boxes and socks and junk mail and shit laying around everywhere well not shit right. definitely not shit Go. stuff and I cleaned up one tiny little area of the room, and I feel better a little bit about it. Awesome. <laughs> Do it in small bites. I know. Just, like, pick up five things. You're just... I give myself... I do that with exercise, too. Like, if mm -hmm. you can do it for ten minutes, and if you really hate it, quit. Mm-hmm. And then I go the whole thing. Yeah. Because, you know, once I'm ten minutes in. Yeah. I don't have a lot of time left. I only, I only walk for 15 minutes right now, so... Especially if I'm 10 minutes, I'm, I'm almost done with my walk. So. <laughs> my yeah, I can well finish it. Going. Right? Right? I'm, I'm starting very beginner level. 2.2 miles an hour, 15 minutes. Excellent. But I've been doing it every day. Good. Every day this year. I did roller skating one day. Cool. I That's got one awesome. lap. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. One lap around the park. Park. Not Bark Park. No, because that's the other That park. is a thing. Right. Um, also within. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now. there's a skate park right there. Jim yeah, pointed out. yeah. I don't know if I'm ready to do the half pipe, but <laughs> 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 I can at least skate around the parking lot. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's close to a half mile yeah. uh, around the park. So yeah. it's not terrible. And I can still kind of a little bit skate. Mm-hmm. But not as well, and it's much more difficult. Yeah. And it looks a lot farther down than it did when I was little. <laughs> like, it like, is, the thought of falling is scary. Is then it was like, you know, it'll suck, big deal. But now it's like, this could really cause problems. <laughs> I could break a hip. I know. <laughs> and you know, I need to wear the wrist thing. Like, I got all the guards yeah. and stuff, and the only ones I didn't put on were the wrist ones. And then I posted it, and I had a bunch of people say, oh, that's cool, I tried that, but just so you know, you should really wear the wrist ones, because I didn't think I was going to need them, and then I broke my wrist the first time I went out. Oh, I had some, good Several advice. people tell me that. So luckily, I got the wrist things, they came with the other padding, but I just hadn't used them that time. Gotcha. But I know now, I just have to find them. I know where one is. Yeah. I have a stack, and it's got my knee pads, my elbow pads, and one wrist thing. And today is a good day to do it. 
It's not bad. It's like it's 30 so sunny. degrees. And yeah, it's I don't sunny. need it to be warm because it's so sunny. And that'll probably be really good for me. But you know what? I done already got high. <laughs> <laughs> so. I do that so I can exercise. No. No. It's well, great with this treadmill. I just like walk and like watch an episode of South Park or something. Oh. I watched Prices Right today while I, I was on the treadmill. Every once in a while, I'm like, I have to watch Prices Right. It's on <laughs> and it's 11. I'm watching TV. The gods have come together and said that I need to watch Prices Right. So, and whenever I do, somebody really exciting happens. So, oh. one woman got the, the dollar and then. Did her double spin, her extra spin, and got the $25,000. She got the one again. Oh! So that was exciting. I love when they get both showcases. Some guy won a car in this, like, Pathfinder puzzle that looked really hard. Oh. Like, all these squares, and, like, you had to stand in the middle, and that was the first number in the price. Mm -hmm. And then you had to go either up, down, right, or left for the next. And he got the whole path. It was all four numbers that is i hate those that's why i hate those because there's such just arbitrary numbers in the middles there there's no skill it's just luck pretty much and i hate it a little bit they had eggs on there and they were like 529 for this carton of eggs i'm like where in california <laughs> obviously i'm like man my eggs are like a dollar 20 for 18 like <laughs> yeah i don't know how much i spend on eggs but i know it's not that much so five dollars a carton no certainly. Even those Eggland's Best, I don't think, are quite $5. Yeah. Or those fancy eggs. Who buys all those fancy eggs at the store? Oh, I don't know. I try to get if they have free range ones, but, I mean, I don't not get them if they don't have them. Yeah. Or if, like, one is, like, a fraction of the price. Yeah. I make I a little eggs. effort. Just eggs are cheap. Just yeah. get eggs. I like eggs. You know, I get everything from DoorDash, so. Right, right. Yesterday, I sourced my own food locally from right down the street there. Nice. nice. I got me a pizza, and I went to the store and picked it up. Wow. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's pretty outgoing for me. Yeah, they're good pizza. They do. The last time, like, not this just, I had it the other day, but, like, the time before, the baker was all burnt, and the pizza was, like, overdone. Oh, that like, would make me so happy. Oh, <laughs> it was really... Not good. I love them. When it was like overdone. a couple pies in a row that I had, like, not good. And it's such good pizza mm -hmm. that I'm really, really disappointed if they fuck it up. The buffet's back. At lunch. Oh, is it just lunch? Uh uh. As far as I know, yeah. I, I just. Oh, I know. I heard because I got invited to a thing that's there. And, gotcha. And Ashley asked me if I had been back since they reopened, and that's how I knew that they reopened it. Kind of mm, buffet. I know. I hate the idea That's kind of it. Of now. Yeah, but like, it's good food. <laughs> it. It. I mean, it's not anything I couldn't just throw together. <laughs> right. You know, I could buy it directly from a place down the road, probably, probably. and make it myself. But it is good. It's really good. Mm -hmm. The cucumber salad at the buffet. So oh yeah, yeah, that is. Institutional chocolate pudding. Like candy pudding. Mm -hmm. That chocolate pudding. Mm -hmm. uh, or Oreo fluff. Oh, yes. I like that, too. Yes. Very much. You just eat, like, giant bowls of that shit. The cucumber salad, I heard an interesting story. <laughs> um, <coughs> dude was telling me the story. Um, I wasn't listening very closely because mm -hmm. I was 
super pissed off. But, and it wasn't even a conversation with me. I was just there. Yeah. But he said something about such and such person farm from their farm, and they had so many cucumbers, and he delivered all these cucumbers, and so they were like, we got to do something with them. So they started making their cucumber salad, and everyone loved it, and it's this big thing now that they make, and, and it's because they got too many cucumbers once. Hmm. And that was a great story. Right. I have a good tomato cucumber salad. Really? I just yes. like it. It's so red onion fresh. and minced garlic and yeah, fresh. Yeah, very. If you like tomatoes and cucumbers, I do. I do too. I have a gift card for Molliettes. I should go and you get some. You told me that. You should totally oh, do that. Oh man, I think I have it in my purse. And get a nice plant. And I can get um. The last time I was there, they had a Swiss and almond, you know, Swiss cheese with almonds spread. Mm-hmm. I love that. Crackers. Yeah, they have crackers. I ate all my crackers. And I still have some other cheese spreads. <laughs> oh, you know, just Triscuits. Triscuits go with everything. Triscuits are too much. Yeah. Get something thinner. Like they less cracker. Thin. Yeah. I want to enjoy more of the cheese. <laughs> you need the now we're on the ratio. Dish. How would you like the your cheese to cracker ratio? That was delicious. Very important. Yes, yes. There hasn't been a cherry in my muffin since 1939. <laughs> All right. I think the cherry in Betty White's muffin is the place to leave it for yeah, today. sounds good. So, everybody. Hooray, Betty White. Thank you for being a friend. And we'll be back next time on Ta-da. The Muppet Show. <laughs> That's what I felt like just then. <laughs> Bye.